You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I'm Gemma, I help connect business with tech talent and today I'm your host. Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I am joined with Daniel Nassman, Nika Ekstrom and Sebastian Nilsson and we are going to discuss how to create a high performance team. Before we delve deeper into this topic let's work around the room and have some introductions. Daniel would you like to start? Yes please thank you. Uh, my name is Daniel Lassman. Uh, I am the VP engineering at a company called Mentimeter and I really like to work with groups especially with communication and collaboration. Perfect. How about Sebastian? Yes, hello, uh, Sebastian Nilsson. Uh, I work as an engineering uh, manager at a company called Free Trade. Perfect. How about Anika next? <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, all right. My name is Anika Ekstrom. I work as a team leader and technical producer at Seen This, um, and we are creating a faster internet um, by basically reducing waiting times on digital content. Lovely, thank you. So now we've established who each of you are and um, let's focus more on the topic. So if we all have your questions and your statements on how to create a high performance team. So as usual, what we'll do is we'll work around the room and ask each of you for your questions and your reasons behind it. And then we'll go around the room and see what everybody thinks about that. So Sebastian's question is, how can you support misaligned organizations to understand what is culturally important to build high performance teams? Yeah, yeah. so sometimes uh, organizations are between two different phases, which is sometimes during a startup phase, you really just need to have good soldiers that uh, execute on your vision, but then you sort of move into more of this uh, in investigatory and innova innovation uh, phase where teams needs to be more uh, self, uh, self-sustained and uh, run more intrinsically and maybe all organizations are not ready to do that uh, transformation and you need to sort of make sure that the whole, whole organization is up to speed on the need uh, for this transformation. Lovely. Daniel, would you like to give your opinions on this? Anything you've experienced before? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, this is one of the things which is the hardest to do, I think, when organizational change an organization changes in in size or context. I mean, it could be the market changing and the business has to change, whether it might lead to you having to change the ways of working and the organization itself. Um, is arguably one of the hardest challenges as a leader in the technical field. Uh, and we all kind of has to have to face at some point. Um, it will always depend on what you're trying to do, right? Uh, but the thing to focus on at the core, I think, is um, trust and collaboration. Those two fundamental things will be the building blocks, regardless of which challenge you have. Um, and then it's probably about 
making sure that the entire organization is part of the change, not just the technical or product teams, because we don't deliver value in isolation. So we need entire company basically to change, or at least that that business unit will work closer together. Um, and for that to happen, you typically have to make sure people are on board and understand why we're doing the change and what is the challenge? Why can't we continue the way we've been going before? Um, which comes back to, you have to speak a language everybody understands. Uh, for example, cost, profit, or whatever metric you actually, uh, people actually use to value their things in. So, I mean, those things are concepts, I think, are, are central to maintaining a changing organization and making sure the culture aligns. Lovely. And Anika, what, what's your take on that? Well, I, I definitely think, yeah, as well as Daniel said, that you have to communicate really clearly from, from the company, like from the top of the company as well. So everyone needs to be aligned towards a common vision as well. And the communication is really important, I think. Um, if the company decides to change direction or there is a lot of new changes, you have to be very clear about exactly, as you said, Daniel, where the company is going and why we are going there and to make everyone understand why you're going there. And, and I think as a leader as well, you have to speak to your team on each level to, to make sure that everyone understands and also to make sure that everyone is still motivated and you have you still have the motivation among everyone in your team and that you want to work towards this common goal because it is a challenge and our market is definitely changing in the in the tech market so there's going to be changes in the market and there're going to be changes probably in in the companies as well and that's why i think communication is key and you have to be always having a clear communication in the whole company, but also to each individual to make sure everyone is aligned to follow the, uh, the vision. Lovely. Sebastian, does that answer your question? Is there anything you want to add on to that? No, I think that's, uh, those are good questions or good answers. Uh, yeah, it, maybe it's worth discussing if um, if there are dead ends, like are there situations where where this is not possible, or any like examples of when running into these kind of situations where you need to really influence, like do this transition uh, from from more of a top led uh, startup company to more of a orga organic, uh, innovative, uh, bottom up structure. Anika, what do you think on that? Um, yeah, I, I think that, I mean, if you have, you have maybe to go to the bottom of it to see what the real problem is and why people are not aligning towards the same, towards the same values or, or they want to stay in the change as well. And speaking to each person about what is the issue, you maybe have to change your vision or you have to maybe restructure your team a bit because it is a challenge and you need the whole team to be aligned and, and follow. And, and if there is a big issue, then you need, to, you need to speak about it and you need to see what the issue is and maybe start the restructuring, as you say, from bottom up to see if we can build something from that. 
And Daniel, anything else to add? Yeah, I mean, we can um, look at uh, an example of my experience. Uh, I joined um, a retail company a couple of years back and worked there for a while. And we grew that organization from 20 people or so up to, uh, well, say 20, 30 people up to almost 200 in the IT organization. And um, I think when, when I joined, it was easy to see behaviors rather than structures in the organizations because people were organized in different ways. And it was really hard to actually tell who was the one asking for something and who was supposed to deliver and actually who's supposed to own it going forward. That's, that can be a little bit difficult, I think, to map sometimes. Um, but if you look at communication, you will clearly see where there are challenges. Um, so if you understand the business, then you can look at the communication structures and that will give you a clue as to what the current status is and if you need to change something. Um, and that was what we saw when I joined, uh, were 20 people. It should have been a pretty easy, I guess like startup size, people, everybody can collaborate, everybody can communicate. You can get everybody one room and you can talk about something. But what I witnessed was the opposite. We had silos, uh, which was in the size of one to five people working independently, not communicating. Um, and we were supposed to grow the organization quite rapidly. Um, so I, th I think it helped to look at how people communicated and see that there was no communication. And then you can see like, okay, does that align with the product we're trying to build? Is that align with what the customers need? And it was pretty obvious and easy for everybody to see that it wasn't. And if you can make that visible, I think you don't have to have the answer because you can start having the conversation with people. And people are pretty actually pretty amazing if you give them a chance and listen to them. So I, that entire transformation was basically the organization transforming itself and growing at the same time and doing it fairly well. Um, and that was really, really amazing to see almost standing from the sidelines. So, um, I like that approach. Look at communication and use communication as a way to solve it. Uh, and then you will run into a lot of problems, of course, but those are typically simpler to solve once people are talking together. Great. I think that's a great standpoint. Sebastian, is that covered that area of your question as well? Yeah, definitely. Perfect. Um, Anika, should we move on to your question? Would you like to tell everybody what it is and just remind everyone? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so um, I was wondering, like, how do high-performing teams keep good communication internationally over time zones and to work efficiently and maintaining a team feeling? Lovely. Now, Daniel, we've Mentimeter expanding into Canada. I'm, I imagine this is a really, really good topic for you to speak about, so I'm going to come to you first. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Uh, we, 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 uh, when it comes to the product development, we are one office, one country company. We are centering that in a Stockholm office. But uh, there are several experiences from before. The example I used when we grew from 20 to almost 200, we actually opened up in several different time zones uh, across Europe, but also in, in uh, China. So that was an example of us um, facing those challenges. I think. Um, I was thinking about this one because this is a very classical problem and there's a lot of different models of how solving it. There's even frameworks built to solve it. 
but also I've been coming back to what do we mean with a high performing team? Um, because I think that if if we're talking about a team which can adapt to different circumstances and and solve problems, giving changing requirements or whatever you throw at them, I don't think that's necessarily possible in a distributed way. I think it relies on very close communication, close trust, and I'm 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 um, I'm not saying I don't think it can happen, but it's really hard to do that unless you are in the same place even. Um, but there are other definitions, for example, we could assume that it just means that we have people working together and being able to deliver a lot of value, even though they might not be doing it as a team. But we could like, for example, find really high performing individuals in different time zones, and we can probably give them a context where they can deliver very, very effect effectively together. But I think that's a different definition. Um, but in that matter, I, I, I think it comes down to, um, I think it comes down to, you do have to have a certain amount of structure. You need to, to set rules and, and those rules need to be, probably be evolved by the team themselves because every single team is gonna face different issues depending on which part of the team is in which time zone. But you're gonna have to set up a lot of ground rules for how to communicate. Otherwise, you run into the type of problems I've faced in the past, which is work becomes discrete. It it becomes it becomes dependent on something on something else, which means that it has to wait for things all the time. That is something which can be solved by someone turning their, their chair in the office and asking a question or taking a quick fika or whatever you want to do. But in a distributed nature, you might have to wait four hours for a person to to wake up and when they are woken up and you are at 150% capacity, they are 20% having the first coffee and not being super happy about being 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 uh, asked about a very difficult problem. Um, and which leads to the other side of it, I think, uh, to round off my, my, my opinion, is that you have to really, really focus on the human aspect of it <laughs> as much as possible. You have to remind people that it's a person on the other side of that conversation or the other side of that work item. Um, I mean, I, I think those two are the two building blocks, very strict agreement and just trying to remember that we are actually people. That's a really good perspective on it. And it's good that you've got that experience to, to think back on. And um, Sebastian, how, what do you think about Anika's question? Um, yeah, I mean, this is a known problem. Like we're talking about it and it's everywhere online. And this question comes up time and time again because it is a problem. And it, there doesn't seem to be really a, a uh, silver bullet uh, to to address this. So maybe we have to live in the reality of that this is an issue and just work around it. And what I've seen uh, work uh, well in these situations is to sort of just understand that maybe teams should not be across time zones. Maybe teams should be within the same time zone and then collaborate over the time zones. Uh, and this a lot of principles within uh, software engineering enables uh, these kind of remote first practices uh, already with code reviews, uh, pull request reviews and things like that that can be done async, uh, asynchronously. So what you need to do is sort of set up that culture that 
everything should be remote first. Like you should interact with your colleagues as if they're not in the same office as you, if you want the, the working process to uh, work over different time zones. But that at the end of the day, you can have isolated teams, very efficient working together in the same time zone, in the same office, whatever uh, is the situation, but then try to tie it all together with a cross uh, time zone cultural binding together uh, with overlaps of uh, a little bit of office hours and sometimes, you know, uh, rituals where people do meet each other, but sort of just come to the conclusion that this is the Australia team, this is the Europe team, and this is the North America team or group uh, of people. And we are collaborators, but we're not in the same team. Like we don't expect 12 hours of time zones to actually work as seamless as zero or one hour difference. It's a great perspective. Anika, do you have anything else to add? Anything else you think about that? Um, yeah, it's an interesting discussion and, and it's interesting as well to hear your uh, your your perspectives of it, I think, because um, we are in this situation right now where we have offices around the world and we have like local hubs around the world and where my team of technical producers are parts of those teams. So while they are having a local team, I also want to keep us as a like common team as well. And I find it uh, interesting and challenging because I really like for them to feel that they're part of my team as well. And there has to be a lot of communication and there has to be a lot of, as Daniel said, also personal, like you have to get to know every person as well. And um, while keeping structures as well. So it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And um, I like the conversation and getting this advice as well from the guys um, because it's, yeah, it's, um, it's challenging. And you have to like, I think when, when you have good communication, you need to inform each other what's happening, what's happening on the local offices. You have to update each other on different challenges. Um, and I think it's only when you as a team work together, you can be as efficient as you as possible. And that means sharing experiences, sharing uh, knowledge, and also communicating on the personal level to get to know each other, to just keep the, the team feeling as well. So yeah, thank yeah, you thank for you. your comments on that. Perfect, just to add on to that, it kind of ties into what Sebastian was saying. What would be all of your top tip on staying well communicated? How, how do you maintain that? Um, if we start with Daniel. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we have the obvious ones. Try to find overlaps in time zones, uh, dedicate time there. Um, meet um, somewhat frequently, as frequently as possible, face-to-face -face in, a, in a place. Uh, there will be a lot of trust. Um, but also, I mean, I think, like in any communication, and especially important when in different places, is to remember there might be very different cultural contexts. Um, the way we act here might be seen very differently uh, for, for, for a team working in China, for example. I mean, for just one aspect is power distance. Here in Sweden, we can, we can joke about our, our boss any way we want, and there's, there's absolutely no consequences, almost encouraged. If you do that, it will be kind of offensive almost in, in a certain different cultural context. Um, 
and also the, the the one thing that we typically see in in the reviews and surveys is like talking about being candid, uh, being honest, uh, being uh, straightforward. Uh, that means vastly different things, different cultures. When you ask someone to be honest, you're asking for a very different thing if you ask it in in one time zone a certain country compared to another. So I think the cultural aspect is very important to remember in communication. Perfect. And Sebastian, how would you say communicated? Obviously, you're now working in with an English company um, in Sweden and you're bringing it up into Sweden. So has that been an issue for you so far? Have you stayed communicated? It's working quite well uh, and it's sort of cheating that we're only one hour apart from Sweden and, and the UK. And the, the trick comes in where we have our own team in Australia and another team in uh, uh, in Canada. So th that's where the complexity comes in. Uh, and it works great in the way uh, that we sort of cover this, uh, like treat everyone as remote first. So have team conversations in Slack so everyone feels included. They can asynchronously catch up to conversations uh, that are held. Um, uh, software engineers, you know, a lot of discussions goes into the, the code changes or so pull requests, keep sort of the, uh, the history of the conversations and uh, RFC documents to make sure that bigger decisions are aired out to as many people as possible and they can have their input and feel like they're, they have the chance to partake in, in bigger decisions. So just make, make all of these kind of key uh, communications that are professional uh, part of routines and, and processes and then comes in the the software part uh, or the, the 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 human part which is having overlapping uh, times or over uh, uh, meetings that are in overlapping time zones so uh, maybe the Australians stay up a little later to to be part of a at least once a week meeting uh, and sort of overexpose those teams that are not in like since it's a UK company the core is sort of in the UK uh, with the amount of people and the the heart of the company so overexpose the other teams and make sure that the Australian team and the team and the people in Canada gets very uh, very exposed like more more than the other ones to compensate for this lack of sharing uh, everyday life Perfect. And then Anika, how, how are you staying communicated with the rest of your team? Uh, well, I do like what Sebastian is saying here about like thinking of that everyone is working remotely. So even though you have a team locally, you speak to everyone as if they were working remotely. And in that way, you are able to much more include everyone. And, and that's what we are doing as well. I think um, we use Slack a lot and we communicate over time zones, even though people are not working. Um, but we could definitely do it more as well, because I think it's important because that's when you, you get to, you know, take part of everyone's daily work and you also get to take part of the way you communicate and the way you maybe make jokes and you, you, uh, you get to know each other on a personal level. Um, and I think culturally it differs a bit as well. And I think as a leader, you maybe need to get to know each person and to know what, what the, how how to communicate with that person and how you can feel how you can feel that person welcome in the group as well, and uh, I think communicating even though you feel it's not needed, it's not maybe you don't have anything important to say and um, 
maybe you don't say it then, but I think if you say it, even though it's not important, it just keeps the communication up and, and, and it's easier for everyone to feel a part of it as well and to, to want to communicate. Perfect. And then last but by no means least, Daniel, would you like to introduce your question? Uh, yes, please. Uh, it's nice to actually ask it last because then I can relate to <laughs> the conversations before. Um, so if we say, if we define as a, as a high performing team, as a team which is well well gelled together, um, has to, has a complementary set of skills, but a well, very well, um, well, well, with a high collaboration, being able to work together. We're talking about a team which has taken a lot of time to form, typically. A team which uh, probably took a lot of effort to actually get to, or or maybe we're lucky and we accidentally created one, and that's an amazing feeling as well. It happens. Uh, I've seen it happen, and like, oh, yeah, how did that happen? I don't know. If I'd known, I could like copy it and do it again. Um, but let's say we have that high-performing team, and it's amazing all that. Um, it depended on a lot of work and a lot of time to get there. What happens when something changes in a team? For example, you need to add one more team member because you need a certain specialty. That will change the dynamic. Let's say someone decides to leave this team. Let's say something very fundamental in the scope of the team changes uh, or the workload changes in a significant way. For example, going down a lot or going up, up a lot. What what can you do to prepare the team or the organization for those types of changes? Thank you for your question. Um, Anika, should we start with you? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, it's an ex exciting challenge, I think, um, because uh, I think every company is changing sometimes as well. And if you have a high performing team, uh, you're obviously in a good position as well. And you probably have a lot to do as well. So when you, for example, have a new team member, uh, the dynamic definitely changes. And and um, looking at the uh, the Tuckman, you you're probably right. Like when you come into a new team, you have to find your role a bit. You're maybe showing what you can do, maybe running into conflicts. Uh, but I think it's also a necessary part where you kind of finding your role, and that's also when you kind of know how to be motivated and what makes you motivated in the team. And when you when you have the high performing team and when something changes in the company, I think the important thing is to have very good communication also here and to know to make sure everyone understands the common goal for the company, and then break it down to team level and definitely the individual level so that every person in the team knows about the common goal. Everyone is you know, committed to contribute and that everyone feels important in this team as well. And I think if you know how the common goal, what the common goal is and that everyone supports it, it is also easier for everyone to have maybe minor changes in the team and the company. But I, I definitely think communication is important here as well to, to have a tight communication with everyone in the team to make everyone is make everyone uh, know they're they're important and following in the change as well. Lovely, thank you. And Sebastian, what's your thoughts on this? I mean, one way to uh, prepare yourself for this situation is to make sure that it's a prerequisite when 
when bringing people on board to the company to understand that uh, the culture of the company, uh, if you can foster that culture, is that the default mindset is that change is constant. Like that is the only thing constant is change, as they say. Uh, and the reality is that people are, uh, especially in software engineering, switching definitely teams a lot, but also companies a lot. So that is just the reality. And if you can just be uh, honest with that up front and sort of get this default uh, mindset as a culture, uh, that would that will ease when the situation uh, changes drastically. So if the if the prerequisite when bringing new people in is the change and you make sure that you bringing uh, bring in people with a growth mindset, they will be ready ready for this sort of dynamic environment, uh, which is also uh, quite a good factor when having a high performing team that they are very dynamic and that they can change uh, rapidly when things change. Perfect, thank you. Daniel, do you have anything to add? Any other questions? No, I, I think there was a lot of good comments there. Um, I think what Sebastian is talking about with the culture change is something we kind of accepted in, in the IT industry. Uh, first of all, I think the volatility of the employee market has increased a lot. And you have to accept that um, a lot of the workforce um, is, is going to move every X year where X is probably typically around two or lower. Um, the question I suppose is then for Sebastian a question, um, do you think we can build high performing teams in the definition that they are like above well, or are we, are we okay with settling for good teams that accept change? Could you rephrase the question a little? Um, no, I, I think what you said with the thing that the culture will change. Um, that we're saying that the teams, people come into the, their culture, uh, we're saying we're willing to change. But what well, my question is, if things are changing so often, are we creating high-performing teams or are we just creating good teams that can change? Ah, good. Understood. So, I mean, there are these models of what stage the team is in. Uh, I think you, you mentioned that previously in the chat before uh, this talk. And uh, I mean, if you look at that one, the, it depends on what the change is and how big it is and who are involved. You will probably be uh, regressing and moving back in that model. So uh, I guess it's also maybe that's where your question is leading to that you need to also maybe uh, keep the organizations um, a little bit sound and not moving all the time because and remind them that they will always be regressing the teams backwards in their in their high performing state like yes we can do changes very often uh, our teams are resilient they're good uh, at being dynamic but we will always move the performance backwards because we will need to restart and there will be more you know norming around uh, the things that are changing before we're back up to performing again so yeah i think that's a that's a good question that sort of lends itself to that that answer that yeah there, there's always trade-offs uh, definitely and anika have you got anything to your know, contribute towards what the boys are saying 
Um, well, in, in important aspects, um, I don't have anything to comment right now, I think, but it's definitely an interesting discussion. Perfect. And even though Boris can't join us today, I'm going to read his questions out so they get answered, as I know you all have them before. Um, so his first question is, how can we define a high performance team? Um, Daniel, if I start with you, what would what would be your definition? Yeah, I, I kind of hinted uh, towards it earlier. I mean, I think there are a couple of ways you can define it, depending on what you what you want to mean with it. Um, one thing is a, a team which is high performing, but kind of niched in the sense that they are really, really well suited for a certain task uh, with not too much change over time. That's one definition of high performing team, I think, because that's a team which fulfills the two requirements. It's It can be extremely efficient and it can also be very effective because it knows the domain and knows the the, the, the process of the tools and everything. It, it, it can be a super high performing, but that's probably not how the reality that most companies live in because things are changing a lot. So I think what most of us mean with high performing team is a team of people which, which can stay high performing even though their constellation or context uh, or work type and load changes. So that's my, my answer. There's two to them. I cheated. Sorry. That's fine. Um, Anika, what would be your definition? I like your answers, Daniel, so that's okay. Um, I would define it as um, well, a team where every individual is motivated and is working towards efficiently towards a common goal. Um, and I think you have to stay motivated. I think also you have to have fun. You have to enjoy your work and you have to, like every day you, you meet your team or you speak to your team, you have to, to like what you're doing. And, and that's important as well to for the leader to make sure that everyone is uh, having fun. And um, yeah, that's maybe a long definition. <laughs> yeah, I think where everyone working uh, is motivated to work towards a, a specific goal. Perfect. And then finally, Sebastian, what would be your definition? I would maybe uh, summarize it into two main things that defines uh, a high performing team uh, and that is that they are moving forward that's number one that they're not blocked that they know how to unblock themselves either by interpersonal skills knowing how to interact with other teams uh, or just by having their own you know skills to move forward uh, and the other thing is to do that efficiently uh, that is sort of subjective but you can still have a feeling for you know is the team experienced enough? Do they have the, the knowledge either with the within the business problem or within the technologies to to be moving forward as fast as possible? Uh, and that can mean, you know, with speed or it can mean with uh, quality. It depends on what the uh, what the requirements of the business is. And I think everything else is sort of a uh, a function of that, like being able to handle this dynamic uh, environment is just a factor of uh, how well they can either move forward quickly or how efficient they are in their work. Uh, and the motivation is what keeps them moving forward uh, and keep uh, being efficient. So I, I would say maybe maybe it boils down to those two. Those are the best I can come up with right now. Perfect. 
Perfect. I've just written down a quick note of what you all just said. So if we were to create the most perfect team, the most high performing team, it would have to be efficient, effective, motivated, have a common goal, be fun and be interactive. Is that is that the full list or do you think there's anything else that you know needs to be on there for it to be perfect? I like the, the moving forward without being blocked. I think that's quite a important thing to be self starters when needed and be uh, like not only technical problem solvers, but just overall problem solvers. Now we we have a third party, someone else, someone external or internal are blocking us. Uh, how do we how do we keep moving forward or learn? Yeah, I, I, I can add to that as well. I mean, I think I think the list is, is, is perfect by definition because perfect is not something attainable. We're supposed to stop when it's good enough and that's the perfect in the software industry. Uh, but if I would be forced to add one thing, it, it would be um, uh, self-improving um, that the team can actually own and be responsible about their own processes and the tooling and kind of those aspects of it and making mature decisions uh, based on that over time. And I think that's some, something I can't formulate it in one sentence, but that's kind of what I would like to add if I added one more thing. Yeah, and if I would add one more thing or two more things or three more things, uh, it'd probably be like communication as well uh, as we've, I think, run through everything, but I think it's really important to have a very good communication always. I think also to have like a structure, as we mentioned before, but to build from that structure uh, to be able to be flexible. And um, yeah, to as I think we said before as well, to, to have like dynamically be able to, even though things are changing in the team, uh, you are able to work around it, to stay motivated. Perfect. I think if I was to add anything, I would add personality. I think someone's personality can add quite a lot to it as well. Um, depending on what kind of person they are, what kind of mood swings they have and how they wake up in the morning. Um, and then just to reword Boris's last question a little bit. Um, can a, a high performing team just be formed or does it take time? Is it something that appears after people knowing each other for a bit longer or can you just create five people in a room and make them high performing um, if we start with Sebastian this time I think in theory you can but you cannot count on it so a, a lot of a lot of it comes down to trust so that's the most important pillar in my experience to to build a high performing team on so if against all you all odds you're able to put together a team of people that know each other and have experience with each other and and have this trust then then you can get lucky but uh, in no normal cases probably it will be hard like there's a reason there are many different models for how teams uh, go past different stages uh, of development and i don't think you can count on having a high performing team from from day one you can only with a good culture and a good leader, you can maybe speed up uh, the process a little bit. And by being aware of the different steps, you can do uh, thoughtful actions to speed things up. Um, but yeah, don't don't count on putting together a, a perfect team 
from day one. Great, and Anika? Yeah, I think it takes a lot of time as well. Maybe not a lot, but it does take time. Uh, I think uh, the team has to really understand each other, um, both on a working level and a personal level as well, to know how to communicate with each other, to know what's important for each person, uh, and to know how to motivate each other. Uh, and these things, I, I think, takes time. Uh, definitely doable, uh, but it takes time. Have you found that a bigger challenge with international teams? Sorry, Daniel, I'll come to you in a second. <laughs> uh, sorry, what was that again? Um, have you found that a bit of a challenge with international teams? Has it taken longer, do you think, than it would for teams all in the same building? Um, I do think we have a good uh, atmosphere or high performing at the moment as well, because I really think it's important. And I think our company think it's important as a whole as well. And we do that through communication. And I mean, it does take time for everyone to get to know each other, but we also think it's important from start. So we, we do want to include it from the beginning to feel that everyone is included. Uh, and we try to keep like, uh, not very formal discussions, but just to have discussions and conversations, meetings for everyone to, to get to know each other. Uh, it does take longer, of course, to, to get to know each other, but I think, it's doable to have digital meetings, uh, a bit over time zones. Of course, it's more difficult for everyone in the team to get to know each other. Um, but yeah, through Slack, for example, it's, uh, it's, it's a good way to communicate, even though you're uh, in different teams as well, I think. Perfect. And Daniel, what would you like to say? Um, I, I I agree a lot with what was said here, both by Annika and Sebastian. Um, typically, I would say that you can't really put people together and that will just form a high-performing team. Um, it's, it's hard enough to do that if you know all of the data. If you have everything in the world accessible to you, it's still hard to create a high-performing team. Um, at least I, I used to think that. Um, I had an experience here uh, just, just uh, two years ago where I worked with a boot camp in Stockholm. And we took people with no previous development experience and uh, we put them to a 13 week bootcamp where they worked uh, extensively <laughs> together. And those teams were formed um, almost completely randomly. And they were teams of four people and they, they became high performing teams if you define it as delivering way above what you would be able to expect. And what it, it was a part of design here in the sense that we we gave them very specific constraints so you could say they are designed but they're not put together purposefully they are they have four random people basically and they were given challenges that were way harder than they should be able to solve which means that they were not just giving a challenge they were given something which was truly fundamentally challenging and arguably beyond what they were supposed to be able to solve. And uh, we, we, we forced them to solve it by using something called mob programming, where they could only have one screen and one keyboard. 
So the four people could not do anything individually. They had to do everything together and they had to communicate for any action they wanted to do. That I, I, There are other things, there's amazing instructors and the, the students were picked like for high performing like on the test, but those single things I think were the most significant and that created something which was truly amazing from my point of view. I didn't believe it when I, when I saw it. So. I, I, I changed my mind a little bit. I'm more of a believer now in, in magic. That's good. Um, Sebastian or Anika, do you have anything to add on to that? Don't underestimate humor. Uh, one thing I've seen is a lot of success at many different companies uh, for the ones who want to partake to have some kind of joking channel in your Slack or in your chat system. Uh, I don't know why, but that seems to break down a lot of barriers where people can laugh together even remotely and sort of identify a lot of, uh, you know, fun people that you want to work with uh, on, on other levels than the professional level. Uh, and maybe rec uh, like public, uh, what's it called? Public recognition is a very important thing as well, especially when you're remote, uh, but probably also in, in general to have mechanisms to uh, uh, sort of uh, highlight people who are who are performing uh, uh, well or doing things that you appreciate culturally uh, and, and make sure that everyone sees that that person is being recognized and for what uh, to keep driving that culture uh, that should be done even if everyone is back in the office uh, make sure that everyone gets to see this. Great, and Anika, anything you would like to add? Oh, I definitely agree with both of you. Um, and uh, I think it's interesting to, to, uh, to have these kind of teams who are able to actually high to be high performant in, uh, from the beginning. Uh, and I guess it's also like, it's, it's important to have a structure and to have certain guidelines and then to, to have some some space around it to be able to, to show your personality as well. And I think if someone starts in the company, a new person comes into the team, it's you set the standard for it. Uh, and that's, you have to make it easy for the person to enter and to know, to feel, make them feel welcome and to include them in the group, in the chat, in the, the team meetings. Now, one thing I love that you do in Sweden that we've kind of adopted in our team is the FICA, um, where you will like speak about things that's not work. Um, I think that's a great form of that communication and especially the humour. So that's something you're all definitely doing a lot better than we're doing here. Um, does anyone have any closing points, anything they want to say before we wrap it up? I, I can say that. I mean, it's very enjoyable and, and, and a luxury to work in this field, in this <clears throat> day and age, and with people in, in uh, solving the problems. And uh, I think it's to a large part because it's really hard. Um, if it was easy to become well-performing teams, then we wouldn't be needed. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's, that's what really attracted me to kind of leadership and management. So uh, it's really fun to discuss these things with other like-minded people. So I, that's my feeling here. I'm very, very, uh, happy and I'm having fun doing this so perfect that's what we want out of the podcast so 
if that's it, we'll leave it there. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. Um, I want to take this opportunity to thank Sebastian, Anika and Daniel for providing your insights into this topic. It has been wonderful to speak to you about this. If you would like to get involved in a upcoming podcast, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or email and I'll see you next time. Thank you.